This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Our conversation with Tim Legler is brought to you by Comcast Business Class. Tim joins us on the AT&T hotline, AT&T 4G LTE. Good morning, Mr. Legler. How are you? I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are you? Very well. You should be proud of yourself. Before we get to the Celtics Heat Game 5, uh, the Thunder have won three straight to turn that series around. You should be proud of yourself because you did not bail on your pre-playoff pick of the Oklahoma City Thunder to win it all when a lot of people were bailing on them when they were down two games to none. Well, I didn't turn my back on them, but I sure did look over my shoulder a couple times. I'll tell you that. <laughs> After game two in San Antonio, I was scratching my head a little bit because I was wondering if I had a peg right. I hadn't seen San Antonio as much as Oklahoma City this year. And, you know, once the playoffs started, I really started watching the Spurs. I saw what they did in the first two series, but they were really overmatched, the two teams that they played. So then I looked at that series, and after game two, I was really wondering if the Spurs ball movement was just that good that the Oklahoma City thought they weren't going to catch up to the ball, and they were going to have some of the same issues that the Spurs and Clippers did. But that wasn't the case. Once I saw game three and the adjustments they made and the fact that they got Tony Parker under control, and I had a feeling that was going to continue throughout the series, I never had a doubt that Oklahoma City was going to score at will on the San Antonio Spurs. And they are, and they can, because they're so good offensively with their best three players, with their shot making, even against great defense at times, that I knew they were going to score. And they're, they're continuing to do that. The question I had was, man, can they stop the Spurs? And now, once I saw in game three that they had a game plan to stop them, I didn't think they'd lose another game in the series. And I thought last night, obviously, was a critical game for the Thunder to win. You don't want to have to win game seven on the road. And they went in there, and they executed their game plan, and their their best players were great once again, and their role players you certainly chipped in with some timely contributions. Hey, so uh, simply put, they adjusted on Parker. Their individual talent offensively is better than the Spurs' individual talent. Can you talk about how valuable Harden is to how this, this machine operates in Oklahoma City? Well, back in early December when the you know, season was, was still in lockout mode and then we finally you know, got underway and we had to pick, and I picked Oklahoma City Thunder to win a title, the main reason I did that was because of the emergence of James Harden a year ago. And I said it then, and I believe it now, he's the best third option in the NBA. And at times, he's a first option for you. And, you know, what separates him from a lot of guys is he scores in multiple ways. He can hit a three. He can attack you in transition. He's so good in the open floor of getting to the hole. And then he's a phenomenal pick-and-roll player that can also make plays for people. So he's just such a weapon to have on your team because he's a tough matchup for anybody. And it seems like, you know, no matter what kind of defense, no matter who individually is guarding him, he gets it done every night. And that's why I like them to win it. I just thought he's the most consistent and reliable and trustworthy third option in this league. Uh, and coming off your bench to have a weapon like that, and he's been sensational. And when you look at that game last night, you know, they, they were so good offensively. But then, you know, they go up 13, 
and they have five straight possessions of a bad shot by Perkins, three straight turnovers by Westbrook, and then another missed layup by Perkins, and it's a two-point game, and you're going, man, this is the thunder at some times. You, know, you, just, you just get so frustrated watching them as a, as a thunder fan because of that. Now it's a two-point game, and what happens after that? Westbrook hits a ridiculous pull-up 20-footer with Tim Duncan draped on him, and then James Harden hits a step-back three against Kawhi Leonard, same situation. He's inside his jersey, practically. Hits a step-back three when they're up to put him up five and pretty much end the game. Their individual talent wins out against San Antonio's individual talent defensively, and they just win those matchups when they get opportunities, and that's what makes this team so special. They're last in the league in assists in the regular season, but they led the league in field goal percentage. So go figure. They're a team that can just attack you so many ways because of how good those three guys are. And now Ibaka is emerging as an offensive force as well. So, you know, this team right now to me is the best team in the NBA. All right, well, you, it looks like you're going to get that series right, Tim. What did you think about the Eastern Conference series before it began? And what do you think now a few hours before Game 5? Well, I picked the Heat in six prior to the series. Uh, we're at 2-2 right now, headed back to Miami. And I think the Heat will win the game tonight. But I have a lot less confidence in that pick than I did last night picking the Thunder to win on the road um, because I think Boston right now has a real high level of confidence against this team. I think they understand if they can withstand the onslaught of the open floor and the transition and the energy that Miami's going to hit you with early in the game sometimes, if you can withstand that and you're right there, you can execute half-court against that team because you, you've got Rondo – He's so creative, and he's the one matchup that they have a very difficult time containing. Garnett has been knocking down his mid-range jump shot, you know, the entire season, and really since the playoffs started, he's been unbelievable with that shot. Pierce, you know what he can do in big games, big moments, and now you're getting production out of Ray Allen, so they're almost back offensively to the level they're at when they're at their best, and that's why they have so much confidence they can go in there and win a game. So I, like, I think the Heat will win because they're at home, and I think defensively, you know, they can create some things to get out and get some easier shots when they have to have them. But if this game is tight going into the last three minutes and you're within a possession either direction, mm, right. I think the Boston Celtics have the advantage what? because the Miami Heat are going to feel a tremendous amount of pressure knowing that if they lose, they could go on the road and get closed out. Do you think Chris Bosh will be a factor tonight? I think he'll be a factor even if he's not making shots. You know, people, people overstay a little bit, you know, being out for three weeks. And listen, offensive rhythm and timing, all those things, obviously they matter, but the guy is a professional basketball player, and he is a big-time player, and he is a guy that's averaged you know 20-plus points in this league. Is he capable of coming back after missing the entire series and going 8 for 12 tonight or something like that? Absolutely, he's capable of it. Would I expect it? No. I, I think his rhythm will be off a little bit. Point is, even, even though he's been out, the threat, and what he brings to the table with his mid-range jump shot, it is a different team that you have to account for when he's on the floor from the Boston standpoint defensively. Your rotations are different. You know, Udonis Haslam is not going to beat you by making 18-foot jump shots. He'll make a few. He's not going to beat you that way. Chris Bosh can beat you by making that shot. And he's a pressure release for Dwayne Wade and LeBron James because it's an additional player that they can find when they try to penetrate and work on, on, on double teams and draw double teams. He's an additional guy that's a reliable scoring threat in the middle area of the floor at 18 feet. And that's the part of the floor that has been ignored by the Boston Celtics defensively because they're worried about penetration and finishing at the rim and they're worried about three-point shots from the role players. Now you have a third element to your offense that you have to account for defensively 
and that's why he will be a factor in the game. To what extent he scores, I don't know, but the fact that he's on the floor makes their game plan different. We're talking with ESPN's NBA analyst Tim Legler, and, and Tim, do you have a theory, uh, whether it be a philosophical theory or a physical theory, as to why the Heat are 0 for 10 in game tying or go-ahead shots with less than 24 seconds left in the fourth quarter or the overtime? That's in my mind. That is not a small sample. Not a small sample, and I do have a theory on it. My theory is that they don't rely nearly as much on ball movement as as they need to in those situations. They rely on individual greatness. And the problem they have, this is a big problem, and I've said it about LeBron James' entire career, he has a major hole in his game. And it is he is not a good mid-range jump shooter. And a pull-up off the dribble jump shooter, it's not a strength of his. And when you look at the guys in this league that have been big-time pressure performers and one at a high level in recent memory, all of those guys have a reliable mid-range jump shot. And why that's so important is because late in games, you're not getting to the rim to beat a team typically. Mm-hmm. And if you want to shoot you know, fadeaway threes like a lot of guys get in that situation, be my guest. The shot that you can make and you can beat a double team with as it's on its way to you is a pull-up 18-footer. And look at the guys I'm talking about. Dwayne Wade, one of the best in the league, won a championship. Paul Pierce, one of the best at that area of the floor, won a title. Dirk Nowitzki, one of the best. Kobe Bryant, maybe the best mid-range jump shooter in history, has won multiple titles. Those guys all possess that. Kevin Durant has it in his game. Uh, He hasn't won a title yet, but he's 23 years old. So, you know, he might get one this year. LeBron doesn't possess that shot in his arsenal. So he has to either get to the rim or he's shooting a three or he's giving the ball up. And that is typically what has happened. Now, Dwayne Wade has missed three of those in that situation. Haslam, strangely enough, I think has missed three or four. Uh, who ends up with the ball because she's a guy that you know takes the pressure off, can make a jump shot, and that's who ends up with the ball sometimes because you double team those other two guys. But to me, if LeBron James had that in his game, he could go to that, and he would be a much more reliable late-game jump shooter. So that's why you think that Wade should be option A, LeBron James should be a facilitator, and maybe Battier should be option B or C. Here's what I think. If I'm, if I'm Eric Spolstrom in that situation, I try to get the ball to Dwayne Wade on the move, a lot like they tried to get it to LeBron the other night as Eric Spolstrom put it on the run. Yep. That's what I do with, with, with Dwayne Wade. I put him on the baseline, run him off a couple of screens, bring him out to the wing so he catches it with a defender chasing him and closing out on him. So maybe he can go quickly on that guy and get into the lane. Uh, if not, then now you're in an ISO situation or a pick-and-roll situation with Wade handling the ball. He's proven that he can make those shots in pressure situations at the high stage in the NBA final. That's option one for me. Option two is I give the ball to LeBron, but I give it to him knowing that he's going to be a facilitator, whether I give it to him in the post, knowing that he's going to get double-teamed down there as he starts to back a guy down. He's such a great passer with his height and vision, he'll find a shooter on the perimeter, find someone that's a kick-out that can now attack at a running defender, closing out on them. Uh, or you put him in a pick-and-roll situation or an ISO situation, knowing he's going to get doubled, and you space the floor in such a way that you anticipate where the trap and double team will come from, and you put a shooter in an area of the floor that can get a clean look. That, to me, is what I go with. Putting LeBron James anywhere on the floor, one-on-one in ISO, knowing he's going to end up most likely with a 20-foot jump shot, to me that's not a formula for winning basketball for the Miami Heat down the stretch. If they continue to do that, they won't even get out of this series if they get in that situation again, and that's what they go to. Hey, uh, Dwayne Wade shooting 29% from three, 46% overall. He's averaging a little over 20 a game. He's not 
He's, he hasn't won a game for them. He hasn't. It seems that he hasn't even like controlled a quarter of this series yet, Tim. What are they doing to him? Is it a simple matter of doubling him? Is Garnett just able to leave his guy, whether it's Toriev or Anthony or Haslam, and help on Wade? Well, I think part of it is right now they're daring him to shoot the ball a little bit in the perimeter, and I think Dwayne Wade isn't in a great rhythm. And he's a rhythm jump shooter. He's not a pure shooter. He's a very good shooter when he gets into a rhythm offensively. He gets a couple layups early in the game, gets a couple free throws. Now you've got a handful. And you saw it in the Indiana series. When he scores early, forget it. You have a, you have a load on your hands that night. Right. And Boston's done a nice job of not letting him do that. He's had very, very quiet first half the last two games. And, and now you've done a much better job of keeping him under control because it's harder for him to find his jumper later. He's a better player when he gets early buckets and then he finds that jump shot and he gets more confidence in it. And now you've got a problem. Uh, and that hasn't been the case the last couple of games. So they've done a really nice job of concentrating on him, almost forcing and letting, in some ways, LeBron James wants to get 20 in the first half. I don't think the Boston Celtics care. They're not as concerned about LeBron James later they're much more concerned about Dwayne Wade later. And the way you contain that is to not let him get going in the first half. And that's what they've done a great job of. If I'm Eric Spolstra, that is, that is absolutely primary concern number one for me in this game is get Dwayne Wade in eight or ten point first quarter. Figure out a way to get that guy some looks and get him some layups and get him something going because I need his offense in the fourth quarter. And if he doesn't do it in the first half, it's hard for him to find it later. All right, you've got the Heat winning tonight. Do you think this, they come back here, uh, Celtics win game six, and then it's back to Miami for a game seven? That's what I think is going to happen now. And then and what? At that point, at that point, that's too early. I can't, I can't go there yet. I want to see how these next two games play out. But I will say, if, if Miami wins a close game tonight at home, Boston goes home, and they win a close game, now you go down to Miami, and you're, we're all expecting a close game, it would be tough for me to go against the Boston Celtics in a close game seven in, on the road against Miami because I know how much pressure the Miami Heat would be under, and I don't think they handle that that, that well. And, Tim Lego, we wrap it up with this on the other side. If, indeed, Oklahoma City prevails in this series, then it looks like they've got the momentum to do that. Does the fact that they have beaten Dallas, the Lakers, and San Antonio get to the finals make them tough-tested or tired? Tough tested without question. Yep. They're, they're, they're 20, their, their best four players average 23 years old. The, the fatigue won't be a factor. The fact that they closed out Dallas in a series that the team that they struggled to close out games with a year ago, they sweep them. They may get the Lakers, obviously, a, a team that some people think you know, could win it this year, maybe, uh, a matchup problem from a size standpoint. Take care of a championship team like that. Get rid of Kobe Bryant uh, without much of a problem. Now you take care of a team like San Antonio that was on an all-time roll yeah. coming into your series. I mean, if that doesn't give you confidence that you can take on the world, I don't, I don't know what will. I've said it now since before the playoffs. I think whoever wins the West is going to win the title this year. And I think Oklahoma City obviously has positioned themselves. They've done what they had to do. They lost some court advantage in a regular season right at the end. And now they've got it. they had to go on the road in a very tough environment and win a game in this series, and they did it. Now they've got an opportunity to close it out at home and get to the NBA Finals. Tim Legler, always a pleasure and always educational talking NBA basketball with you. Thanks for the time. I'm going to put you on hold because Chach wants to get some information for you. He's got a little something for you. So don't hang up. Chach is going to talk to you. We'll talk to you no down the problem. road, Tim. Thanks very much. All right. Tim Legler with Dennison Callahan on the AT&T hotline. AT&T 4G LTE with speeds up to 10 times faster than 3G. AT&T Rethink Possible. Quick timeout. Uh, back with your phone calls at the top of the hour. Doris Burks will join us. Doris Burke will join us. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.